Good morning, Jag Jungle. Today is January 29th, 2021. What a wonderful year. What a wonderful day. What a wonderful month. And here are the announcements. The Fellowship of Christian Athletes, FCA, is up and running again and welcomes all students. If you would like more information, please email Mrs. Zaker at zaker at APPublicSchools.com. We are meeting virtually at this time. And as you guys may have known from your uh, teachers telling you, uh, we are returning to school on Monday. So, woo, isn't that awesome? I look forward to maybe doing the announcements there or continuing to do them through the podcast. Allen Park Public Schools Board of Education recently updated the district's return to learn plan. As of January 21st, the following changes have been made. This district has altered the positivity rate metric from a seven-day rolling average of less than 5% for seven, for con seven consecutive days, sorry about that, to a seven-day rolling average of less than 7.5% for seven consecutive days. That is a change from 5% to 7.5%. Uh, regardless of the data trend, in-person learning in Allen Park Public Schools will not resume prior to February 1st, 2021, in order to provide teachers with adequate time to prepare and allow families to begin transition plans. The district will provide staff and families with advanced notification of two business days prior to returning to in-person learning. The notification will be sent via e-blast, as well as an automated phone call. Prior to resuming in-person instruction, all students will have the option to be placed in in-person or virtual learning environments. Those have been your announcements for the day, and I hope you have a fantastic day. Thank you, Matthew, for our announcements this week. Sometime after he recorded, the district did make the decision to send us in-person on Monday. So see you all in class. Next on the agenda today is me, Nikki Hartley, with another State of Our Union segment. Hi, everyone. On this episode of the Jaguar, we're going to be talking about the way social media is affecting our democracy. And first, let's start off by having each of our participants today introduce themselves. I am Dylan Shropshire. Uh, I'm Christina Smith. And I'm Sage Truen. All right. Thank you guys all for joining me. So first off, a really hot button topic right now is deplatforming. And for those of you that don't know what that is, if anyone in our audience or you guys don't know what that is, it's basically like you either feel morally against or disagree with what someone is saying. So either you take um, their platform away, either on Facebook or Twitter or any other social media. Um, liberals will argue with you that social media has the right to do this because they are private enterprise and conservatives will argue that it's a dangerous game to play because if you start silencing ideas, then what else are we going to silence down the road? So does anyone have any opening thoughts on this? I think personally that it's like, like you said, it's a lot of it. It can be taken to, you know, it's the certain companies and what they decide to do with their own platforms and where, um, you know, if they think that that's dangerous speech and that that's um, harmful, that they can take it down. In my opinion, I think that it really has to come down to the the companies and what they think and what they think is best, because there is a certain dangerousness when they're, they allow these people to have these giant platforms with misinformation, with, you know, 
misleading things that they're promoting and expressing without any checking or, you know, background from that. So I think personally that they should be allowed to make their own decisions on who should have a platform on their platforms. Yeah. And that's why I think it was also kind of a good thing that Donald Trump was kind of banned from Twitter because of how much of an influence he had, how much of a platform he had. He was able to be vocal and most of the time without restraint. And that really would um, people would take that and run with it. For me, I feel like uh, it's definitely something that should be allowed, but I also feel like it needs a lot more fine tuning and a lot, a lot more nuance as to what it means and what people like, like where the line is drawn. I feel like the line, the line should be drawn when it starts creating, um, violence when, when it starts creating violent tendencies or it starts inciting people to do things such, such as Donald Trump's, um, inciting of the riots. Yeah. I'll agree with that. I also just think it's like not to be picking sides here because like I don't pick sides politically or I try not to at least. But um, like Kathy Griffin, who's a liberal, when those high school boys with like the Make America Great Again hats were like standing by the Native Americans, not like mocking them or anything, but they were just standing there while the Native Americans were playing their drums. Quick interjection, I misspoke a little bit on this. The boy was standing with the smirk, so it does appear that he was mocking. And it caused a huge uproar, and basically Kathy Griffin doxed them, which is the calling for their personal information, and they were underage boys. So, like, she was like, what are these boys' addresses? Like, well, Kathy, what are you going to do if you get those boys' addresses? So, and there were no repercussions on her at all. But... There are times when it kind of does go both ways and it's not given the same repercussions as what mm-hmm. I Doxing is a huge problem in its own right. Yeah. Um, it happens on both sides of the spectrum. It's honestly terrifying. Um, you see people who think that they're doing the right thing, think that they're being like righteous and they go and post other people's information that's this obviously is not the right thing to do and i feel like considering that they were underage boys it could have been handled with a lot more privately and a lot more maturely than trying to out them on something that they did when they were kids that's going to now be with them forever i mean it certainly doesn't shield them from being able to be criticized on social media and letting people speak their mind about what they feel about what they did. But I also agree that doxing their information is incredibly dangerous because it just leads to more violence. Um, there's always going to be people who are, if they get that type of information, they can swat them or they can, you know, come up and hurt them in some sort of way. And that's just not how either side should be trying to solve any problems. Have you ever done, I mean, have you ever done anything stupid like as a kid? I mean, like we all have, like, like if you got, if you got docs for doing something stupid when you were like 12, where would we all be today? Like, yeah. And everybody's opinions are also still forming. So it's, it's hard to be like, that's the problem with social media is if you, if you have an extreme opinion that people think, or at least if people think it's an extreme opinion, you almost don't have the 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 privacy to be able to you know express that without 
the possibilities of thousands upon thousands of people seeing because people want to share it on social media, which is, can be, you know, incredibly dangerous. Yeah, and especially because they were underage, that affects a lot, and it puts them in a lot of danger as young boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just, we're the first generation really growing up in this, so these are all new issues. Like, it's not like our our parents or our grandparents were getting docs. So I feel like as a society, we need to learn that we are all still forming our opinions. And like, we are like, oh, this person did this and we, we demolish them on social media. And then they're like, okay, I realize why I'm saying what I, I realize what I said was wrong. And I'm sorry to the people that I hurt or offended people still continue to attack them. And it's just like, we're all just like continually learning and growing as humans. So I feel like we just all need to be really patient with each other. Mm -hmm. And not to mention that just doesn't seem like, a lot of the times when those apologies come out, they're usually really forced and rushed. And they usually aren't very genuine because people are afraid of the PR consequences. So they're just trying to get something out <laughs> so they don't look bad. And a lot of times it just makes everything a lot worse. And I don't feel like it really helps change or make the situation better. Yeah, I think it's just really hard to tell. Like, we don't know the person, so I, it's hard to make assumptions about them. Sometimes, yeah, it's pretty obvious that it's forced and that, like, they're not genuinely sorry. They're just trying to make all the noise go away. But... There are times when I feel like people can realize and start taking in other perspectives. I feel like um, with everyone, like with thousands of people being able to comment on people's thing, like on anything anyone does, um, I feel like private lives should not be broadcasted nearly as much as they are because some things should stay dealt with without thousands of people going to attack them. Um, like with the underage boys or with anyone else, like, or with anyone else trying to be canceled, I, it would be a lot better if it was dealt with in private and wasn't aired to every fan of them, every person who like, because they're supposed to be entertainers. They're supposed to be the people that you, you know, look to for fun. They're not supposed to be the people that you go and like, and like wonder like who's going to do something wrong today. Yeah. 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 And it also can lead to a sort of mob mentality of like, you know, take them down, like cancel everything, burn their stuff, like don't give this person any type of like expression anymore. And it's like, that's not how reality is. And that's just not how people learn from their mistakes at all by just like completely just taking everything out of them for making one mistake or saying something wrong. Sometimes I feel like, obviously, like, the whole mob mentality can be bad, but there's certain times where it's, like, very bad people who have been continuously doing these things for a long time and have never been called out. Sometimes the whole, like, Twitter do your thing, the whole, like, I don't know, can help. Because, like, I won't use the Me Too, like, movement as an example because there has been times where people have, like, took that really far. And it's a great movement, like, letting women voice things that they haven't ever been able to but there has been like times where the whole mob mentality or making assumptions and it's just like 
sometimes like with corrupt politicians or people in a place of high power have been manipulating these people, using their power as like negatively, like grooming, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's good to call that out, but... With the whole mob mentality, that really like ties into the Salem witch trials and um, like the Red Scare. Basically, people have this mentality that they want to be a part of the crowd that is saying, oh, look, this person did something wrong. And like, I wish there was a way that we could start advocating for causes, but not directly attack the people. Because personally, I think that the way of shutting down an argument should always be with a better argument. Viciously attacking someone because they see something differently than you, no matter left or right-leaning view than you is not really the answer. It's just about trying to explain and um, work together to find solutions. I mean, I think Sade made a really good point about how there's definitely different responses that should be taken by different accusations. Um, I think people having different political views and stuff like that, like, obviously, we shouldn't completely trash that person, completely cancel them and just, you know, like, but it already happens. But I think that like grooming and pedophilia, stuff like that, where it's genuinely dangerous for those types of celebrities or people to be on a platform. Like, I think that that type of deplatforming has benefited and or helped people who have been victims before, who haven't been able to like, you know, the Harvey Weinstein case where there's, hundreds of women being victimized by him and they felt like they didn't have a voice allowing social media to actually be able to come collectively together and stand against these people who have so much more power than them has been I think a really good thing um next issue I kind of want to talk about is how our social media platforms can reconfirm our own bias and this does does not matter big exclamation point on this if you're liberal or you're conservative because I think both sides do it so so much and your social media is supposed to reflect what you search like they want to keep you hooked on it so people just get kind of darker and darker into that black hole and eventually they um their thoughts become so influenced by that um, thing that they're listening to, that they start acting out irrationally or radically. Yeah, you definitely should not use Twitter for political views. It It's full of bias and people who know nothing about what they're talking about, nothing to back up research. It is all just, trust me, I know. It's not a good source of information. I would not trust Twitter to give me anything. And I feel like it easily can radicalize people because these people allowing these people to have whatever voice, like they have no credentials behind them and they are able to say whatever they want to say and they don't have have to put anything to back it up can allow, you know, people to just say like, Oh, this person's saying it and they have a sizable following so that this must be true. And, you know, it leads into these beliefs that are way more extreme than what they would have been if there wasn't those people that had those platforms. 
Twitter is like a bunch of biased teenagers voicing their opinions, but it's also the same with like media outlets. A lot of them are very biased and I just want to put that in. I think another, personally, my concern with social media is like people are like hiding behind the screen and just like lashing out on other people. And it's really easy to do, even if you're not someone who's like typically like that in real in real life, even just on a non-political spectrum, I think it's just extremely easy to do. And I think we've kind of created a culture around that on Twitter. Yeah, the attacking mentality is very rough. Like there are times where I've gone on Twitter, looked at like entire threads and I just come out with like a headache. It's such a big part of Twitter right now. And it just feels like you can't go anywhere without having someone try and throw their two cents in. And you have like, like most critically, critically thinking people are going to go in and they're going to like read everything, try and consider all the points. And it just, it's, it's a headache. Like it's rough. I also think that allowing people to hide behind a screen can, it may, it gives people this feeling of safety and security in allowing them to express any opinion that they want when, you know, most people, if they, they have their face associated with something, they are not going to express that opinion if it's a crazy opinion or if it's radical or anything like that. But when you have, or if you attack people, they wouldn't do anything extreme is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> if you had to see who it was, but since there's the option where they don't have to say, like they don't have to put their name, they don't have to put their face behind it. They don't have any personal information they have to put behind it. It gives them this feeling of almost security in what they can do. And I feel like that's why we see so much hatred and violence on these platforms because they feel like it's okay or at least they feel safe in it. Yeah. And I think that also kind of ties in. It is harder to um, understand and debate with people on Twitter too, because say I'm a, I'm a Democrat and Christina is a Republican. We have never talked in our lives, but we are hashing it out on Twitter I don't know that Christina is a very nice person who is super compassionate and super funny. Instead, I just know that she is a Republican and I hate her. You know what I mean? Like there's this, we're just dehumanizing people. I think a lot of times on social media when they could be really nice people, but because of their political opinion or something that they've said, we've just turned into like, oh, you are an awful human being and you should regret blah, 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 blah. My other point was that on Twitter or really any news media outlet, we read about this much of something and think we understand it. So if you read a sentence, on, I swear I see people, I don't have Twitter anymore, but I used to see people do this all the time. They would read like a sentence on like healthcare and they'd be like up in arms about the whole healthcare system. You don't know anything about the healthcare system. I'm sorry, none of us do. Like, very. That is a whole nother topic. <laughs> right. Just like, but on anything, like, you, you know, a very limited amount of information about each situation because you weren't there. So be careful on how much you speak on it. Yeah, there's always that. That's what, like the thing about social media is nobody has credibility. Like most people that are going on these big tirades 
about these topics have no credibility and or experience with what they're talking about. They're just usually some random 20 year old white girl who lives in a suburb. And it's just like, how, what do you know about, you know, healthcare or big business or, you know, all these things, but people give credibility to her because they agree with what she's saying because they're usually angry or frustrated. Right. And to um, build off the first thing that Nikki had said about people, like, knowing your political stance and assuming all these things about them or assuming that you're a terrible person, I feel like that's a lot to blame with, like, media, social media in general, like, pushing the, like, super, like, radical views on each side, like, every Republican is this type of person who, like, wants this, this, this. Every Democrat is wants this, this, and this. Like, not every Republican wanted a certain president that mm-hmm. was in office. And not every Democrat wanted a certain person that was in office. A lot of times, Democrats don't um, agree with certain things that, like, the majority of the party agrees with and will vote for a different candidate. So it's kind of like... When you hear, like, oh, I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican, you kind of have these set views of how this person is in your mind, but that might not be how they are at all. If you, in your mind, if you hear the word Democrat and you're picturing a rioter, and in your mind, if you hear the, the word Republican and you're picturing the people that went into the Capitol, then you need to do some reevaluating because there are a lot more people, in fact, like, of people are somewhere more in the middle than that. So just be conscientious when you're bashing people that they're not the, they're probably not the political extremes. Yeah. And to go back to the hiding behind a screen thing, um, just to uh, put a bit more positive since it's been like negative this whole time, um, a good thing that actually comes from that though, is how like being able to hide behind a screen does indeed have that feeling of safety. And so while it does, while it can induce that in that like ability to attack attack, I also feel like it can help express ideas that one maybe would normally be too shy to express. So like coming out and being able to say something about yourself that you weren't able to say before, like, we've been kind of painting social media as kind of negative this whole time and it can be positive with the right under the right circumstances. Yeah. And especially with minorities voicing themselves a lot of times, like, like a lot of people's like racist people, sexist people might not take you as seriously if you're the type of person that they dislike for some reason. And so with social media, you can kind of like, be your own person well you already are your own person but I guess have this just say what you want to say without being judged really even though people do judge you but still you get what I mean yeah and it could allow people to express you know their experiences and their perspectives and other people to know that there's different perspectives than just their own because it gets hard to understand that there is so many different types of people living in so many different areas and they're all their lives are all different in how they go about their days and i think that social media although it's easy to simplify it and for people to just generalize there are ways that it has opened people's minds and understood that there's more than just where you live and what you've done every day 
Yeah, I think that's especially true for people in rural areas, not going to lie, because imagine not really knowing or seeing what it's like in an urban life and then suddenly just like you can like view it on your phone and like you're more aware of like all these problems that you might not be facing. And that's just one example of like thousands. But yeah, I think that's just a really good point. And also say I am someone in a minority like LGBTQ and I come out, then that like I would bet I'm gonna get a lot of support. I might get some hate too, but I'll get a lot of support for um like coming out on social media and stuff and I feel like that is positive for people to feel like that um there are people out there that won't judge them even if other people might I was gonna say especially when people like uh, like your family or in your hometown like don't accept that social media can be like a place a good place to confide in like with stuff like that I feel like it helps a lot of people like not even just like good I don't want to bring this back to the negative part but there's also like I said it makes people who feel like like they have like for example like um the QAnon supporters and stuff like that like it allows a lot of those people who have very niche beliefs in to kind of congregate and think that there's more of people like them when it kind of doesn't put into perspective that it's a very 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 niche you know group of people that believe those types of things but since social media exists it's a lot it's a lot of people to filter their types of beliefs and their types of um groups that they want to be in and to keep reinforcing those beliefs which can then lead into confirmation bias and stuff like that yeah i think that's true with a lot of minority and majority groups because it can be easy when it's all that's on your timeline to feel like that is the only opinion out there. But if you just went and unfollowed a whole bunch of people, then you would probably get the opposite opinion or at least a different one. I think that's something people need to be conscientious of as well. After I stopped recording, Say brought up the Middle Ground Jubilee videos on YouTube that can be a really great media for exposing yourself to different perspectives. In addition, there are thousands of podcasts like our own that give you a really in-depth explanation of diverse viewpoints. Joe Rogan is my personal favorite. Though this podcast may have been about some of the more negative aspects of social media, there are plenty of good as well. Though, as Dylan noted, you just have to be careful not to use it as your news source and try not to fall into the easy trap of speaking on something before you've all the details. Up next, Sophie Miller is going to educate us about some of the details that we should be aware of from the Student Code of Conduct. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Sophie Miller, and welcome to the race segment of the Jaguar podcast, sponsored by Allen Park High School. Today, we will be discussing our present school policies, otherwise known as the Student Code of Conduct. I want to dig deep into certain aspects of the Code of Conduct to further educate both myself and the community about what information is explicitly stated, as well as what can be used at our disposal. To make this an accurate and educative experience, I will be reading sections from the Student Code of Conduct of what is said about a certain topic covered in it along with the page number. Obviously, I will not cover the the entirety of the code nor read all the details, as it is 58 pages long, covering over 100 subjects. That is why I chose to outline 10 topics and the details that stood out to me about them. Let's begin with speech. 
Speech page nine. The student code of conduct states, quote, students have the right to express their opinions either verbally or symbolically as long as they do not disrupt the educational process. As intellectual beings, students have a right to search for the truth by examining op opposing ideas and to express in an orderly manner whatever views command the assent of their minds. Where soundness of their position can neither be proved nor disproved with documentation, they shall in no way be penalized academically for holding those views. A student's responsibility must include personal concerns for the effect of the word spoken or symbolic, expre symbolic expression on the personal reputation of others. Students have the right to have their own personal reputation protected accordingly. Consequently, personal attacks and obscenities are prohibited. End quote. Next is violent slash aggressive behavior, page 34. Quote, it is the strict policy of the Board of Education to provide a safe and orderly environment for its students and staff, including one that is free of violence, assaultive behavior, and any threats of same. Such acts will not be tolerated or ignored by the school district. Violent behavior occurs when anyone inflicts or threatens to inflict physical or emotional harm upon a person, including threats made through written or verbal electronic communications such as social media. Aggravating circumstances may include but are not limited to A. Infliction of a serious injury B. Use of any weapon or object used as a weapon C. Multiple assailants Assaultive behavior with aggravating circumstances shall result in expulsion and referral to police, end quote. Next is Family Education Rights and Privacy Act, page 35. There are three categories, administrative records, supplementary records, and tentative records. Administrative records, quote, this classification includes official administrative records that constitute the minimal personal data necessary for operating the education system. It includes birth date, sex, race, names, address, and places of employment of parents, academic work completed, grades, attendance records, withdrawal, and reentry records, honors, and activities, date of graduation, class rank, and follow-up records, end quote. Supplementary records, quote, this classification includes verified information that is important in operating the educational system, but is more sensitive in nature and of less historical importance. It includes test data, such as scores on standardized achievement, aptitude, and intelligence tests, observational data, such as systematically gathered teachers or counselor evaluation, and observations of social and personal assets, clinical findings, and verified reports of serious or recurrent deviant behavior patterns, general data, such as health data, family background information, and educational and vocational plans, end quote. Tentative records, quote, this classification includes useful information that has not been verified or it is not clearly needed beyond the immediate present. It, is, it includes unevaluated reports of teachers or counselors that may be needed in ongoing counseling or disciplinary actions, end quote. Definition of discipline, page 44. There are three categories, administration intervention, suspension, and expulsion. 
administration intervention, quote, disciplinary action which does not result in a student being suspended from school, including but not limited to restorative practices. Administration intervention may include the removal of a student from a class period and school suspension, a reprimand, detention, and or work assignment before or after school, additional classroom assignments, and revocation of the privilege of attending after school functions and activities, events, etc. End quote. Suspension, quote, exclusion of a student from school for 59 school days or fewer, or exclusion of a student from school, which exclusion will terminate upon the fulfillment of a specific set of conditions, end quote. Expulsion, quote, exclusion of the student from the school district for 60 days or more, or permanent exclusion, end quote. Disciplinary infractions, pages 44 to 49. Quote, all disciplinary infractions listed below include penalties up to and including administration intervention, suspension, or expulsion. Penalties will be based on mitigating circumstances, students' prior disciplinary history, and considered on a case-by-case -case basis. End quote. Now, I will not be reading the 55 listed disciplinary infractions that last for five pages, but I did want to mention them because they are directly related to definition of discipline and how administration intervention, suspension, and expulsion can apply to any of the 55 listed disciplinary infractions that are once again from pages 44 to 49 in the Student Code of Conduct. Continuing on, students, page 50. It is the policy of the district to provide a safe educational environment for all students. Bullying of a student at school is strictly prohibited. This policy shall be interpreted and enforced to protect all students and to equally prohibit bullying without regard to its subject matter or motivating animus. End quote. Posting slash publication of policy, page 51. Quote, notice of this policy will be A, annually circulated to all students and staff, B, posted in conspicuous locations in all school buildings and departments within the district, C, annually discussed with students, and D, incorporated into, this, into the code of conduct annually, end quote. Definitions, page 51. Quote, at school means in a classroom, elsewhere on school premises, on a school bus or other school-related vehicle, or at a school-sponsored activity or event, whether or not it is held on a school premises. At school also includes any conduct using a telecommunications access device or telecommunications service provider that offers off-school premises if the device or provider is owned by or under the district's control, end quote. Following up is the non-discrimination policy on page 53. Quote, the Board of Education shall comply with all federal and state laws and regulations, as well as the requirements and regulations of the U.S. Department of Education with regard to prohibitions against discrimination, including but not limited to the following. Title II, Title IV, Title VI, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, Title IX of the Education Amendments of 1972, Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973, the Age Discrimination Act of 1975, the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990, and its implementing regulations, the Individuals with Disabilities in Education Act, or the IDEA, and its implementing regulations, the Michigan Mandatory Special Education Act, and the revised administration rules for special education. 
If any individual believes that he or she has been discriminated against or believes that the district or an employee of the district has inadequately applied the principles and or regulations of any federal or state law or regulation or any requirement or regulation of the U.S. Department of Education, a complaint should be directed to the following district coordinators officers. Mrs. Karen Moran, Allen Park High School Assistant Principal. Moran at APPublicSchools.com, M-O-R-A-N. Dr. Matthew Soko, Director of Special Education. Soko at APPublicSchools.com, S-O-K-O-L. All complaints and or requests for accommodation should be directed to either of the above co-coordinators. All complaints will be handled in accordance with board policy and administrative guidelines, end quote. Before I move on to the final portion of the student code of conduct that I am particularly covering, I would like to go further into my explanation as to why I am choosing this of all topics to cover for this segment. I want to start off with speech because every student should know it's their right to state their mind and be free thinkers. But they should also consider other perspectives and thoughts when stating them to avoid any offense towards other individuals or an entire community. Then I want to cover aggressive behavior, mainly because physically or emotionally wounding someone is one of the worst things someone can do. And more severe the problem, the more consequential the solution. Following that, I wanted to cover the Family Education Rights and Privacy Act. I believe that a lot of people might not know there are the three distinct categories and the distinctions between the three. But I think it's important for the community to know that there are three different categories, administrative records, supplementary records, and tentative records. Moving on, I also want to include the definition of discipline along with disciplinary infractions. I just wanted to make sure there was a distinct relation between these two because disciplinary infractions specifically include the definition of discipline, which is the administration intervention, suspension, and expulsion. So essentially, the three types of severe consequences you can get from the disciplinary infractions while in school. Then I also wanted to cover the posting publication of policy. I just think it's really important to cover that so people understand how the information is released in waves. And so there's more of an understanding that starts within the high school, and then it spreads out to the community. For the definitions portion, I just wanted to define what at school really meant, as in what it meant physically and through the virtual world, just so our students and our staff can have a better understanding of what is and is not allowed when it comes to the property of school. Then my most recent one is the non-discrimination policy. I wanted to include this mainly because that has a lot to do with Ray and the subject that we are covering, Racial Awareness and Equity Task Force. That's literally what it stands for. But I wanted to make sure the community understands the certain types of rights and laws and um, regulations that are put in place for people who have faced discrimination in order for them to receive the proper justice, equity, and care that they deserve. Which brings me to my last topic I will be covering, um, Downriver Resources. 
Downriver Resources on page 56 is a list of numbers available to everyone in the community in order to contact others for help in situations and for help of resources. Now there are five categories and I will be reading one phone number from each, but there are plenty of more phone numbers for plenty of more people in case you need help with certain situations. For crisis and emergency services, if you want to call Counterpoint Crisis Center slash shelter, call 313-563-5005. For health and social services, if you want to call Taylor Teen Health Center, call 734-942-2273. For counseling services, if you want to call the Center for Individual and Family Therapy, the number is 313-291-7000. For parent support services, Parents in Crisis Support Group, Tough Love Hotline, 800-333-1069. I'm going to include these next two ones, even though they fall under the um, crisis and emergency services category. I think it's particularly important this time during this historical moment, we are living in a pandemic. And now more than ever before, we feel very isolated. And we are under situations that we probably normally would not be if we were not in this certain situation. So for the emergency telephone service and suicide hotline, the number is 800-800-273-8255. And then for the first step, domestic violence and sexual assault 24-hour hotline is 888-453-5900. Once again, you can find all these numbers on page 56 uh, listed under Downriver Resources in the Student Code of Conduct. Thank you for tuning in today. I hope to have taught something and I hope that um, whoever listened to this has learned something because it's always important to know the community you're in and the policies they stand with. Thank you. Have a lovely day. Go Jags. Thank you, Sophie, for exposing some of the details of the code of conduct for us. Hope you all learned something from our episode this week and don't forget to tune in next week for another episode of the Jaguar. Thanks and as always, go Jags. Go Jags.